welcome back to yet another episode of the Garment Decorators podcast. Andy and I are delighted to be joined by Zach Ellsworth, General Manager at DFC, Decorating Fulfillment Centre, for those of you that don't know what I'm talking about. Um, I'll let Zach get into a little bit more detail about the business and what they do. I don't want to spoil it, and I definitely won't do it as well as he can. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for taking the time to join us today, Zach. Thanks for having me. Appreciate the invitation. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about heat printing on demand at scale uh, for some of their very, very big clients, which include the Miami Heat, the NFL. There's lots that DFC deal with. And for those of you that don't know about DFC, this is going to be a really insightful episode. So do you have anything to add before we get into it? No, let's go straight into it. No? Okay, cool. Zach, can you give our listeners just a little bit more information about what DFC is, who you are, and what you do in general for someone that's like never heard of you before? Yeah, sure. Um, we are, uh, well, first we're basically a contract printer. So <clears throat> when we advertise here in the States, we say we're the brand behind the brand or the team behind the teams. We're doing the work behind the scenes. And the team here, although we give credit internally, we're rarely seen to the end customer or the person who's getting the, the decorated unit. excuse me, because we're uh, a contract printer at heart. So we do um, heat printing here at scale. Uh, We are producing some direct-to-film transfers, the Ultracolor Max transfers. We make sublimated components that we're ultimately heat pressing onto a jersey. And then we're also doing some applique and direct embroidery for some of our customers. And we offer some warehousing services as well. But uh, at, at heart, at most basic, we are a contract decorator here in the States. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And Andy and I luckily uh, got to visit DFC not that long ago and uh, Zach gave us a tour around the facility. Um, And just to see the sheer scale of it and like everything that you guys do behind the scenes is really, really impressive. Mm. I think you're probably a bit of a problem solver at scale as much as anything, perhaps, Zach. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good description. (laughs) I think a lot of the time, it's a lot of the time where brands or other bigger businesses are like, we can't handle this help me yeah that's when they often come to you yeah yeah that's actually uh it's actually uh, a great way to put it and uh if we have an opportunity to talk more about the crossfit games i can kind of give you the background on that and that's that's exactly what happened with that opportunity here at, at the dfc i mean we can get into just that now yeah straight. go yeah, jump just straight in. in okay yeah so um noble uh which is a, a global brand that is manufacturing apparel um actually called into Stahl's customer service department uh, a couple years ago because they had officially signed on as the uh, global sponsor of the CrossFit Games. So uh, the national games were happening in Madison, Wisconsin, and they had taken it over from another um, from another brand. I think Reebok had it before, uh, before Noble did. And basically, all of these CrossFit athletes qualify throughout the year. They go to these national games. And Noble provides them or was going to provide them with decorated apparel that was personalized with both name and number of the athlete to where they're easily recognizable uh, in whatever event that that they were competing in. So funny, the funny story was their their first idea was they were going to buy a cricket cutter and a heat press from Amazon and try and do it themselves. <laughs> yeah, and try and do it themselves. And they called us and we were like, hey, is this a good way to do this? You know, because they wanted to purchase the vinyl or maybe the cutter or the heat press from us to, to be able to set it up to do it themselves. And um the the stall's customer service rep was uh 
was intuitive enough to realize that that wasn't going to be a great idea for them, having never heat pressed a shirt before, to have to heat press uh, what ended up being like twenty to 30,000 units in a very short amount of time. Uh, so they passed them off to uh, the DFC sales rep, made an introduction, and we got on a call with them, and they told us what they were going to do. And we were like, guys, please, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Please <laughs> let us help you. And if you don't let us help you, let us connect you with somebody that can help you, because this isn't the way to go. Um, so <clears throat> at that time, it was um, it was actually really cool timing after we had the conversation, because it was when the Ultracolor Max product was in beta development uh, at our Transfer Express division here uh, in the States. So we, of course, said, yes, we can help you with this project. And it did end up being like 20 to 30,000 decorated units that they handed these athletes. Each athlete was getting probably 30 units, I think, that they gave to them between shorts, swimwear, shirts, <clears throat> whatever it is that they needed to wear for the event. Uh, so we reached out to our sister company, Transfer Express, and said, hey, we know you have your beta testing this product. Do you think it'll work for this program? And uh, we did some testing and that all of the testing worked like it adhered, it washed, all that, all that good stuff. Um, so we went with Ultracolor Max for this large scale program with the couple uh, production machines that Transfer Express had available uh, to us. And we turned around that 30,000 units, I want to say, in a six to eight week time frame. And then the next step is <clears throat> they really wanted to cater to the athletes. And maybe, uh, Molly, if you were competing, you say, hey, I think I, I wear a medium <clears throat> in this apparel brand's clothing. And you go on site and you try on your apparel and it doesn't fit. So you uh, either need to size up or size down. We go on site for that and decorate on demand at the event. So while you're waiting, we decorate the apparel and give you a brand new one. So I think the team went for about two weeks because the games take about 11 days and there's three days to check in before. Uh, so the team went for about two weeks and I believe they decorated another 2000 at least units while on site over those few days, just taking a, a Hotronics Fusion on site and a vinyl cutter and some extra Ultracolor Max transfers. And then from there, were they just like standard designs for the event? Because obviously that adds more time on it, doesn't it, if they're personalized? Yes. Um, they were standard designs, but it was just name and number. They had a font that was predetermined. And uh, we had set up beforehand, our project manager, Caitlin, had set up beforehand that the Noble graphic design team would be available to create the file. And then we were just doing the production behind the scenes. Yeah, because that's a big thing to have to do on site, last minute turnaround, like 2,000 individual <laughs> items. Yeah, yeah. And then the uh, the last piece of that, uh, well, actually, last two pieces of that, while we were on site, there after each event, a new leader is in the lead for the whole event, and they get a whole brand new set of apparel items every time somebody else takes the lead. So we were producing that after each event as well. They had to do six or eight pieces for every new leader. So we took a... Um, an eco solvent print and cut machine on site, the Roland Versacam, and just printed on demand there. And then the last piece was they created some retail pieces for the store and they sold out way, way, way quicker than what than what they ever expected. Apparently these CrossFit fans are just like they they they're there at the event and they want to buy the stuff and it doesn't matter how much it costs. So they sold out and pulled a bunch of inventory out of the back and our staff stayed until like midnight every night after the event ended to restock the retail shelves for them with product as well. 
So it was wild. It was a wild experience. And now we've done that uh, three times. And uh, Noble has also taken over the NFL combine here in the States as well. So we're doing that with them this year. And we did it last year. And it's a very similar experience to CrossFit. Did you prepare in advance after your midnight shifts for the following years when you knew you were going to sell out a lot quicker? We did. Well, we tried. <laughs> we did. We tried. Uh, we tried to prepare. They, um, you know, ordered a little bit more ahead of time. But still, it's like, do we want to commit this inventory that we can sell blank to this particular event that's happening at, at one place in time? And is there going to be demand after the event for it? So we just planned accordingly and took a couple extra heat presses and people to be able to to continue pressing while we were there. I guess the thing is with with both the World CrossFit Games and Noble is that they're both on a very steep trajectory, aren't they? Independent yeah. of one another. And then together, it's just explosive. Yeah. yeah. No, some of our folks took video of when they opened the retail store. And it was like, um, what? Black Friday look like in the 90s at like Walmart and Target <laughs> here in the States when people were just running over each other uh, to pick stuff up off the shelves. And I guess if they're all CrossFit fans, that's probably even more dangerous than usual, yes. as well, isn't it? Yes. They're, they're all like, <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't there. I'm glad I wasn't. <laughs> that's a really good point. I didn't even think about that. Oh, that's good. So, I mean, that's, yeah, the, the preparation, I mean, the night before is a good thing, but what you said about, you know, do you want to commit that inventory? I suppose that's something that on that kind of scale is a lot more important, but still for our customers day to day, it's what we always talk about heat print on demand. If you commit that inventory, if anything, you lose profit, whereas it's probably more profitable to just commit the time the night before and know you're going to need it and sell it than, you know, wasting a load of blank garments that have got a date or a particular event on them. Yeah, no, we we have seen that shift. Um, we're officially licensed here in the States with uh, the NBA, uh, the NFL and the NHL. And we've really, really seen that shift in the NBA business where teams are bringing in a much larger quantity of blanks uh, because of player movement here. And I, I know that happens uh, in soccer over in Europe as well. As soon as a player moves, that inventory is basically dead if it's committed to that player for that particular team. And if they move to a different club or a different team, um, it's it's good to have the blanks available to create on demand for free agency or trades or anything like that. I think that's, that's I remember the one of the first stories I remember hearing since I when I joined Styles was, I think this is, I guess this is before we went under your watch as well, Zach, was that it was when uh, LeBron James moved to the Lakers and he did this big, present big TV presentation, like no one knew where he was going. And he's like, I'm going to be live on prime time and announce where I'm going, which, you know, it's all very interesting and spectacle. But I think then the follow-up was something like 10,000 LeBron Lakers jersey need to be pretty much overnight yep. created and shipped off to LA, I think. Well, isn't it something like that? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, LeBron has been, LeBron has been good for our business because one, he has changed teams, what, three or four times, I think. And then <laughs> even, even after he went to the Lakers, it wasn't a year or two later that he decided he was going to change his number. <laughs> so yes. all he, he was number 23 and then he was like, well, I'm going to change the number six. And it, it was a, it was a big deal uh, for us to be able to, to print those blank jerseys on demand. Is there any way that you can, I know that obviously you can kind of predict elements of it. And, you know, with something like the NFL draft, which Styles does, you know, there's 
there's only like say 40 to 50 players you know we're going to get picked day one yeah but, but obviously probably a majority of people in your business know the nhl they know who these people coming through are but when you start to get things like the world crossfit games which is a little bit more of an unknown mm-hmm. when it comes to trying to predict the volume and where you might names you might need to get and tops you might need to do is there is there anything you could pass on from a kind of how you approach a new problem to when it comes to um, understanding demand? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. Let me think about that for a second. Really, the the majority of the problem solving or the anticipation that we can do is what are the raw materials that we're going to need uh, to print. It's more it's more supply chain planning uh, mm-hmm. than anything because we have in the past taken some guesses as to who was going where and can we prepare and create this stock of things that's already ready to print. And we're, we're not good guessers here. Um, <laughs> we're, we're not good guessers on uh, one, where they're going, you know, two, what number are they going to choose? Three is, is the blank supplier going to have blanks available to even be decorated? So we've guessed wrong on that uh, as well. Like we would prepare for something and then Nike says, well, we don't have enough jerseys that the team can even buy to decorate type thing. Um, that doesn't happen often, but it has happened in the past. So the majority of what we're trying to do is do we have the raw goods, uh, available to make whatever it is we think we need to make? Are we using a print technology that is great for print on demand? So sublimated components, we are printing that right. Like on a printer, uh, same thing with the ultra color max transfer. So we're trying if possible, especially outside of the license space. Can we put the customer in a product that we can make on demand quickly? And then it is planning, do we have staff available to run the equipment that we have available? And is there a way to extend our uh, shift schedule? Is there a way to offer overtime? Um, Is there a way to move people cross train in advance to where somebody can move from another department that we have them in to the department where the demand is going to be? That's that's the majority of the planning uh, that we're going to do. But we we definitely try not to guess on pre-printing anything anymore because we have made mistakes on that in the past. And with the technologies that are available, if we have the customer in a technology that is a true print-on-demand technology where we can produce one-off and do it quickly, then it's just supply chain for us. So that's it's an interesting point because I think that where the where the soccer market is a little bit different, it's changing a bit to be similar. But like most American sports. They tend to go double digit and it's anywhere between 0 to 99. Mm. It's not like in soccer, if you're a striker, you really want, you want the number nine and you want the number 10 show and then you move to a club and you might make someone give up their number for you mm. because you're the, the big mm-hmm. fish. But if it's like hockey or something, they might have a number, they go somewhere else and someone's already got the number, but it's not like, oh yeah, I'll just go one up or one below or kind of, it's like, no, actually going to go completely different. Yeah. I'm going to go from like 18 to 79 because actually, do you know what? I used to wear that when I was a kid or like mm-hmm. that was my dad's, my granddad's number. I'd be like, where did that come from? Yeah. Yeah. The NFL actually went through a similar experience here. I don't know, it was probably three or four years ago um, where positions wore certain sets of numbers, right? Like a running back was always going to be somewhere in the 20s or 30s. And the NFL recently made the change that allowed players to choose whatever number they wanted. And it wasn't position specific anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and quite a few players uh, decided to make make changes. And 
uh, I remember one of the caveats that they put on the players that I remember seeing advertised was that if they were deciding to change their number, they were responsible for a portion of the buyout of the jerseys that were already on the shelf to wow. where the retailers didn't, didn't get uh, in trouble and waste a bunch of inventory. I mean, that's smart, but still, I didn't, I did not realize that was a thing. Well, they, well, the other thing is that, and it, I always thought this is quite interesting, is that the American sports sort of have a different approach to how often you can change your shirts as well. So in the UK, when it, and in soccer, you change your football home shirt every season, mm. and it's actually getting close to the price of a NFL top now. But you know, it's, I think it's every five years or something you're allowed to change your jerseys, home jerseys for most for American the team sports. itself. Yeah. Uh, I actually don't know what that is. Um, I do know that at least from an NBA perspective, they Nike and the NBA put in a program that adds a new Jersey. They change what they call yeah. their city Jersey every year yeah. to, you know, generate interest. And then they're doing a, uh, I think they call it a hardwood classic or a throwback mm -hmm. uh, program to where they're bringing back a different year's Jersey every year that they wear on the court. So they're adding jerseys more than changing the home the standard home road and alternate rarely changes but mm -hmm. they have the city hardwood classic and then like a special makeup jersey that can change every year yeah and what do they do in the uk then just every at home away change all change every season and they're about 80 quid each now i think like... we need to open a dfc in the uk <laughs> that sounds like I a think so too. option I mean, yeah too <laughs> Yeah, soccer is really, and rugby's the same. Really fickle. They change every single season. Mm. Charge your fortune. And sometimes they change quite differently. Sometimes they change hardly at all, but they always change them because they know that people will they, buy them. Will buy them. How many buying. of you bought? Andy's a big rugby fan. How many have you bought over, um, over the years? To be honest, you like some of the rugby ones, not so much. There was, there was a, there was a <laughs> bit of a. So, team I support Northampton. And they had about a three or four year period where they were sponsored by always sponsored by a company called Travis Perkins, which is a builder's merchants. And Travis Perkins have a kind of offshoot where they sell all the tools and drills, et cetera, that sort of stuff called tool station. But then they put tools, they decided they wanted to put tool station in front of all the jerseys instead of Travis Perkins. Mm. And, it, <laughs> and everyone's a bit like, eh, I'm not really that big a fan. And it was a, and it's a green. Why did they even decide to? That's so stupid. I guess they wanted to push their new area I mean, of the business. know your market, right? That's just um, not very effective. But it looked terrible because it was red, white, and blue onto a, a green and gold shirt. Mm. <laughs> so aesthetically, it was all wrong. Um, so you didn't buy one of those? <laughs> I didn't buy one of those, no. Um, but yeah, the, the, the rugby's not too bad, but the football is every season. Yeah. I mean, I, I surprise, surprise, I wouldn't know. I haven't yeah. purchased one before, but you know. But I think it, it, I was I always kind of I mean it's changing a little bit more in terms of the other stuff that's available. But it used to be in the in the US you have your, your shirt, but you also have so much more fanware, which mm -hmm. is vast. Mm. And on, in the UK, you kind of have a little bit, and it's very much growing as sort of retro football uh, jerseys are, are coming really popular, yeah. have been popular for quite a few years now, and other elements of fanware start to come into it. But um, rugby's a bit quite far behind in that respect. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Um, so, um, just going back to the process and how you go about approaching things. So obviously, a lot of the same problems you're trying to fix, again, is, it's problem solving at scale. Mm. But a lot of the principles are still going to be the same if you're doing 10 shirts or 10,000 shirts. Mm -hmm. um, and you, one of the things you mentioned is about the cross-training and how you onboard people. Um, is there any kind of 
tips you would give to people when it comes to training people to become a heat press operator? Because uh, I think that's probably one of the, obviously one of the most important parts of getting this right is position. It's um, how long you should be taking time on the press before you even fuse your first official shirt, I should imagine as well. Yeah. Um, so what, what we find works, especially when, because at least here in the States, a lot of folks are starting a heat press business and they're the ones on the heat press, right? The ones that, that start the business. And then, you know, we, we grow from there. And one of the first hires that a lot of people make is someone to, to run the heat press. So typically we would invest in well, we really wouldn't make an investment because we have scrap shirts or fabric around here. But um, so we're going to put scrap shirts or fabric at the press or damages or something like that where we messed up the front. And we still have the back that, that we can print on. Um, but the real key to training, in my opinion, is one, putting them on the press and letting them make the mistake to where they see it. Um, but it's high, high, high communication. Like, don't let somebody do something wrong for an hour, <laughs> you know, uh, you're, you're standing there, you're watching, you're engaged, you're involved, like do this small thing, check this small thing, start small, and then, you know, continue to grow bigger. Uh, the way that we handle it here specifically, like we have some jobs that are a single placement under the heat press where it's one transfer, we're placing it in one position and we press. There are others, which is more on the Jersey side, where we're putting a name and then we're placing a left digit and a right digit. So we typically try and start people on that single placement uh, type of order if it's if it's available, which depending on the types of orders that you're selling, it may not be. But uh, we try and start with the easiest stuff, full fronts, full backs, because the left chest placement can get a little tricky, you know, sometimes. Um, so we start with the easiest jobs that we can and then basically graduate people but we're checking constantly like if somebody is brand new we're going to check them every 15 minutes probably for the first hour then we're going to stretch it to a half hour and then pretty much after the first half of the day if they haven't made any major errors in what we've given them to do we're going to let them run for the rest of the of the day and then try something new the next day um but putting people actually on the press, getting comfortable with, you know, if it's a manual press, getting comfortable with what it feels like to lock the press down makes a world of difference rather than just watching you do it. Like put them on the press, let them make the mistakes and just be prepared to deal with it. Like don't put them in a position to make a mistake on a hundred dollar jacket, put them in a position to make a mistake on a $2 t-shirt or $5 t-shirt or something like that. Um, but yeah, so communication, lots of hands-on. And uh, as far as cross-training goes, we actually attempt to incentivize people to cross-train because we have different departments where demand really varies on a, I wouldn't necessarily say daily basis, but definitely on a weekly basis. So we give people the opportunity to get trained or certified in a department and then add to their base pay. So if they get certified in two departments, their base pay goes up a little bit. If they get certified in three, it goes up a little bit more, so on and so forth. Um, and there was one other uh, thing I wanted to mention. Oh, the work order. The work order for us is extremely important. We want a work order, which is basically what we're giving to the person to show them what they need to decorate. We want that to speak for itself and require no explanation. So we want, can, you know, uh, one of our colleagues at Fulfill Engine says, can my eight-year-old do it? Like <laughs> if they can read, they should be able to read a work order and 
understanding the basic operation of a heat press, they should be able to decorate a garment. That's the type of instruction that we want to leave on an order because that's where uh, it can break down, where we make assumptions, right? Like, oh, I assumed you wanted us to do it this way. No, we have it in writing. We have a visual, like, every, and it's, it's for everybody's benefit. Um, it allows us to walk away from the operator and trust that, hey, if I can read, I can understand how I should be able to decorate this. Um, and, uh, it just, it cuts out excuses in a, in a production environment, but it's also helpful in that we can go focus on some other things while our operators can just produce the order. So we focus a lot on making sure the work order is right. Yeah. You don't want to leave anything down to interpretation, do you? Cause that could go horribly wrong. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Could you talk about, I'm not sure if you'd be allowed to mention this, but when we were there, we saw a lot of how efficient the pro, like the running process of DFC is in general. Is that something that you can talk about on the podcast about sort of what you use and how that works? Uh, yeah, yeah. So specifically around the, the heat press department, the like at the heat press is obviously very important. Like our goal, which we don't always achieve it, uh, our goal is to have the heat press operator engaging at the press as much as possible during their shift. Uh, so that means that we have to put support staff in front and behind them to where they don't have to think about what they're doing. Like, again, if I can look at the work order and know what it's supposed to look like, then my transfers, the way we approach it, the transfers should be with the garments that they're going on. If it's a personalized order and my last name needs to go on the small, and your last name needs to go on the extra small, I want those already pre-staged up for our heat press operator to where they're not looking at this and going, okay, now I need to grab a small, put it over here. Cause when they're doing that, they're not pressing. Um, so we focus a lot on making sure that the order is ready. So that's a receiving department or person like making sure the garment's right. That's what we call a stager who is taking the transfer and matching it to the garment and then putting that in front of our heat press uh, operator. One system that that we're using here internally um, that helps us do that very well is called Fulfill Engine. It's a company that Stalls recently uh, acquired, and they have a software solution that helps us move orders through the system using its QR code based. So we have QR code scanners. We scan that code that is on the T-shirt, and it pulls up what that garment's supposed to look like. It basically gives us the work order in a digital form on a tablet next to the heat press. And then that QR code follows the shirt through the whole process and helps us even print the shipping label as it as it goes out the door. But um, that system has been uh, an extreme help in helping us to accomplish our efficiency and production goals. We implemented it back in July, I would say. And like anything new, our operators were like, I don't like this thing. I've been doing it this way for 20 years. I don't like this new system. And about it took about two to three weeks of, you know, encouraging and requiring everybody to use the system. But now the operators have uh, completely changed their perspective and are asking for more of our orders to be able to go through that system because it just makes it so uh, self-explanatory and easy to process an order. Two to three weeks isn't that long. Yeah. Like yeah. In, in hindsight, I, yeah, I think that's a yeah, no. turnaround for a for a business like that size to adjust to an entire new system like that. That sounds quite quick. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, I mean, we like 
I had visibility to the system like months in advance, obviously, because we were like, do we want to use this? Can we use this? All that, all that kind of stuff. So I was bought into it, but I, it is always difficult to get uh, somebody who's been just used to doing something a certain way, whether it's a good way, bad way, anyway, uh, it's hard to change a habit. And uh, the system was that good that it only took them that long to see the benefit of what it was giving them uh, on a daily basis. So um, we focused on the why and they saw the benefits pretty quickly and everyone adopted it. We were, we were super excited about that. I think, I think is also kind of is testament to the mindset within DFC and all the styles companies is that actually you have to be open-minded and ready to change mm. get to a certain point and you can't change it. You're not built it right in the first instance anyway. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, uh, one of the values that that Carlene, our CEO, instilled in us quite a few years ago was say yes before no. So we're always in a yes, we're willing to try. But ultimately, sometimes we do say no, right? Like yeah. once we once we vet it out. But but our approach here is we're willing to try anything, any idea, even like, you know, we we're trying to get feedback from our employees on how do we make your life better? How do we do things better? We're willing to try anything for two weeks. As long as it's not unethical, illegal, or immoral, we'll try it for two weeks and see what happens. Well, there's a big difference between no and no because. Yeah, because true. You can take that constructively and then, okay, maybe you go back to a fulfill engine or whoever it's built this solution. So actually, we'd love to use this, but if you could do this as well, then we're mm -hmm. in. Yeah. But you've, got to, you've still got to be open-minded and think about it. So this is, I mean, this is maybe a little bit of a shameless, shameless plug for Hotronics, but have you, I guess you probably have been thinking about it, but obviously the pro place is coming out next year. Is this something that you, you can see a vision for in DFC? And are you excited to see what kind of impact this laser guided system can have on the work that you do? Yeah, we actually can't wait. Um, <laughs> and you guys know, but most of the the listeners probably don't that Hotronics is making that about three miles down the road from our decorating mm -hmm. facility. So we're like, we want the first 10, like put them in <laughs> our heat presses. And, uh, you know, we're getting a little, little pushback on that because, you know, we want it to get into customers' hands too. Um, so if for some reason they're on back order very early, odds are it's because we bought them all and put them on our presses. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, we're, we're super excited for it because again, it, it kind of goes back to that, that work order conversation that we just had. Like, we're not just seeing a screen now of what the shirt's supposed to look like. We're seeing the transfer on the shirt. All we have to do is place it there and press it. And uh, I'm sure our, um, our challenge is going to be just the implementation and adoption from an IT perspective, because it is technology. We're going to be working in a screen with a computer, which is will be new for uh, a lot of our folks. But once we get over that hurdle, the actual projecting and placing, we, we can't wait for it. I suppose you've kind of already partly implemented that with Fulfill Engine though, right? Because the Pro Place runs off of Fulfill Engine in the US. So that's, you've kind of already bridged that gap a little bit because they're kind of used to that mm -hmm. software and used to seeing that. So when the Pro Place arrives, it's probably more an adjustment of what it looks like as opposed to how it operates in terms mm -hmm. of like what processes you have in place at the moment. 
Yeah, for the fulfill engine workflow, that that's that's one hundred percent correct. That that'll be an easy uh, go. But some of the other work that we do that is not currently operating through the fulfill engine system, we have to train our folks on what the Hotronics cloud is like or the ProPlace cloud. I don't know if it's the Hotronics or ProPlace cloud. I'm have not they sure. known that yet? The, the IQ portal. Oh, there we go. The oh, IQ portal is that what it is? Okay, that's what. That's what I don't know what the final marketing name is, but basically there is a cloud-based software that comes with it that yeah. we can upload our designs into and project uh, onto the onto the screen since we're not for, for the programs where we don't use the Fulfill Engine system. Yeah. I think, well, it's the IQ portal at the moment, but I mean, that could change, I okay. guess. Yeah, that's why I didn't say that. Yeah. I thought there's no way they're bringing up brand new piece of equipment and using the same. Well, it, it adapts into the existing software that's already there. I mean, everyone should already be using the KPI reports from the IQ portal if they have it. Fusion IQ machine. I know, but I want a new snappy <laughs> name. <laughs> That's good. No, I'm excited. I'm excited to get my hands on one, get them over here. Not mm. sure when. And for those of you that are listening and want to know, no idea, but I really want one. <laughs> well, what I can tell you is we're, we're hearing here, not until at least February is, is what we're looking at right now. Yeah. Okay. I'll be patient then. So we're, we're on the list. It's oh, okay. yeah. Yeah. So one of the things I was I was kind of thinking as you were telling me telling us these stories about obviously you do things at scale a lot of the time and it, you're talking in, in the thousands of units, but I was thinking Zach if you could perhaps remove yourself from DFC for a second yeah and let's say you're you're just starting out on your journey you've maybe got a cheap press or your iron you're in an iron and you're doing tens and fifties at the moment mm -hmm. you know you're a new heat printer but suddenly everyone loves your work you're doing some amazing things. And you get an order for a thousand or two thousand, which is obviously a big jump, and something that might be more similar to everyone that's listening would find themselves in. Yeah. What would be how would be your approach if you were starting out today and you got that first big order? What equipment would you get? What uh, process would you go about? How would you approach such a, a problem? Mm. Um, Scaling is the fun part, isn't it? Uh, so. <laughs> Actually, the first thing that I would do is hopefully um, I have relationships where I can talk to somebody else who has a heat press that can help me uh, to start with that type of order. Because typically, um, I assume most customers are the same. They want their stuff as quickly as they can get it. Right. Yeah. So uh, and I'm not I'm not saying you can turn that around in one or two days, but certainly a customer would probably be looking for two weeks or less. That's pretty standard turn time yeah. here. Uh, in the US for, for any type of decorating. So first thing I would do is call my friends with heat presses and see one, if they'd be willing to help to what they would charge me uh, for <laughs> that help. And uh, hopefully whatever our pricing strategy was and what we priced it at, like one of the key mistakes that people make that don't allow them to operate this way and be able to contract out that work is you're not charging for your own time in the business. Like if you're the one running the heat press, you have to make sure that your time is built in as part of the cost and how you price your workout to where you have the ability to contract out should should the need arise. Um, so that's one. Um, two, if I'm if this order is going to finance the purchase of a new press, I mean, and it's somewhere where you're really looking to grow and you see more and more of these types of customers and orders coming. Like the dual air fusion is hands down, no question, the uh, most productive machine 
that that we are making that stalls is making today when we put an operator on a dual versus a single head their productivity goes up by like 50 60 percent uh and really the percentage only uh makes a difference depending on how long the dwell time is of the transfer that you're applying if it's a four second dwell time you're you really don't have time to go over to the other side and load it and like be waiting for it to to come over but if you're in a 10 15 second dwell time transfer which is probably i would say the majority of the product that's in the market especially in the full color space um if you're a 10 to 15 second dwell time we see efficiency go up like folks are producing 50 to 60 percent more on that dual machine than they do on a single machine and that is also again making sure that the order is staged and ready for them because anytime that you are in front of the press you want that press locked down because you're not making money if it's not right mm -hmm. um if a you know ten thousand dollar investment isn't something that you want to make i personally recommend an air operated press that's just for like selfish reasons like because operating a manual press can get tiring if you're doing if you are doing it eight hours a day you're going to be tired at the end of the day even on an air press you're going to be tired at the end of the day but a manual one you're gonna you're not going to want to do that for for very long in my personal opinion um especially if it's a swing away because you know you're doing four steps to lock it down instead of just the clam press that goes goes up and down um so yeah i i would i would definitely go from the most expensive down and the reason that it's the most expensive down is because it provides the most benefit to the business and to the operator um if you really can't afford to go the air route or you just don't have the space or don't want the air compressor or like something like that, then I personally would choose a clam press for the reason that I just said. Um, because when you buy a swing away press, it's just more action for your operator, uh, unless you're trying to get in shape and go compete in the CrossFit <laughs> games. And then you know, make sure you're switching the arms that you're using when you're heat pressing. That's actually quite a good point. Maybe we should do that from now on when we're filming. Yeah, I'm kind of the same. I, I would definitely go for an air-powered machine. Although I do love the auto open one, but whenever we're applying anything here, we don't tend to do more than 10 or 20 because we're either making like staff shirts for an event or we're just like filming the odd thing. We don't do the bulk production. So it's a very different experience to film for like a morning and press than it is to use the air power machines all day. Mm -hmm. And I do 10 and I lean towards the air machine. So I can only imagine if you're doing thousands, if not more, why you yeah. would go that route. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think that was kind of my, all my questions. Really. Yeah, I, was... I don't have any more questions. I'll cut this bit out because okay. I paused for way too long. <laughs> um, yeah, is there anything else we want to cover before we wrap this episode up? We, I think we've kind of covered most things. Are there any other like case studies you want to mention, customer stories before we wrap? I don't think so. I'm good. Cool. Okay. Mm -hmm. Wrap us up. Well, I think that was everything we wanted to cover today. Thank you for joining me, as always, Andy. Oof. And special thanks to Zach for taking time to come onto the podcast with us today. Can I ask a um, question? Yes. Yeah. Was this the best podcast episode ever? Of course, I mean, <laughs> of course, okay. Yeah, right. the best, the, the best guest from group that we've we've ever had, Zach. <laughs> <laughs> okay, appreciate that, Andy. That's all right, no problem. I should we should also mention before we go as well, actually, that Zach is a noted author, uh, and you can get a copy of the Lean Logo Formula from custom.styles.co.uk if you'd like to know how to gang up your sheets in a more efficient uh, and more cost-effective way as well.
That mm. is a very good point. Take advice from the experts. Yeah. Um, and before we go as well, for those of you that have enjoyed today's conversation and want to know and more importantly, see a little bit more about DFC, um, we did do a lot of filming when we were over there and those videos are currently being made. <laughs> We've, yeah. We we uh, filmed a lot while we were over there, so I'm working my way through them, but there will be a lot of DFC content on the Styles UK YouTube channel over the next sort of three, four months. Uh, so make sure you'll subscribe to that if you want to see a little bit more behind the scenes. You can go and follow Styles DFC on Instagram as well. This is a long plug. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Keep going. Yeah, they go and look, look for search for Styles DFC on Instagram. They often post some of their behind the scenes pictures that they're doing or if they're at events printing, you get to see a little bit of behind the scenes, yeah. which is really interesting when it comes to things like the World CrossFit Games in particular. Cool. Any more plugs? Can I conclude the episode now? <laughs> 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 okay in that case thank you very much to everyone for watching viewing listening and subscribing and we'll be back next monday with another podcast episode